For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Well, hello there, folks, and thank you so much for joining us on Millennial Money. As always, we got the guys here, Kevin, Andre, Graham. We got a lot to discuss in today's video. This is going to be an action-packed one, okay? We got to discuss me, Kevin, potentially running for governor of California. I'm like... I can't even believe this. This is crazy. Okay. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about stocks. You know, there's some stocks out there that are being weak. We got to talk about cryptos. I just found out my wife's investing in Dogecoin. I'm like, what in the world's no. going on? I didn't even know this. She's Jeremy. Like, oh, I just made 500 bucks. I'm like, what? What is wow. going on? So we got, we got a lot to get into. Anyways, how she, are you doing today? Yeah, she made more money than I did today in the market. <laughs> wow. She, she probably outperformed 90 something percent of investors today just buying in dogecoin I know. hello governor i just had to say it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, andre you got to get the the doge millionaire back on now now it's gonna be like the doge two millionaire <laughs> hold on he sent me no. his portfolio i asked him today i was like send me an update and i'm not kidding you it is at here i can show it to you andre it this you at. better be post you better be flying back to la <laughs> and doing another video with him Wait, oh. wait. Oh, Hold on. oh it's Hold polarized. On. No, no way! Over two. 2.3 wow. million. I'm like, dude, if you sell that, even with short-term capital gains taxes, you will still be a millionaire. He's like, yep. diamond hand, diamond emoji, diamond emoji. And I'm like, no! Until, <laughs> until when? When does he want to sell it? You said when so it's a really dollar? Two, two options. He says either when it hits one year to get those long-term caps, right? But which that's won't matter be, anymore. Which, well, I mean, that's February, right? So, I mean, by that point, Doge could go down in value substantially, or he thinks it's going to go to 10 million, which would be Doge at 250. Wow. Yeah. From, from my understanding, he's holding to 10 million from what I've seen, at least. That would be nuts, man. But imagine he, I, just the question is if it hits 10, is he actually going to sell it? Cause that's he will. I think he will. I think he, he will, will because he's got, he's got other plans for like what he's going to do with the money. He's, he's really into the hip hop scene. So he's got a, like a rapper that he's representing and he wants to produce his music and he's super talented dude. I listen to his music. Amazing. But why but still, still like, come on, I'm trying to save his life. And I don't know. Andre, I got two questions. One, why do you need $10 million to produce music? I mean, when, when someone's like Billie Eilish, I hear is producing music from her bedroom. Why do you need so much money? Produce well, music. because if you can't produce like a like Billie Eilish, I think she's she's so out there where it was she's she's an exception, not the rule. And generally speaking, if you want to play your music on the radio, you have to pay at least two hundred thousand dollars just to even be able to air your song. Uh, but that's so. but that's like saying if you want to be on TV, you have to spend a hundred grand versus like you just make a YouTube video and we could reach. You know, Logan Paul is that's reaching true. more people that's, on that's one episode. True. I don't that's know. a good point. That's uh, a good point. Justin Bieber was found on YouTube. So, I mean, there's, yeah, that's true. I th I think being played on the radio, do, do you listen to the radio even? I don't. I don't. I don't. But no, I don't no, drive. you don't need I don't, that. None of us really drive, other than yeah. maybe Jeremy. But what? But what? what's his basis that this could be worth 250 besides momentum? 
does he does he think that there's going to be some sort of mass adoption for Dogecoin, or what's what's his basis for that? Because that this would this would make it right now have a have a market cap of larger than Ethereum. Yeah, according to him, it's uh, insight and uh, research, <laughs> which is uh, he's like the Dogecoin community. Obviously, these are the kind of fundamentals we're after. But uh, no, there's there's really no real reason that he believes it'll go to that point, other than if it's gotten, he thinks it's going to get to at least a dollar. The two fifty, yeah. I don't follow the logic. He just really has high hopes for the community and Elon. I have a question Musk. on this: Isn't it is it not entirely possible? that we see this rally through the SNL skit with Elon Musk mm. and, and then a dump. I think yes. that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, wow. When is that yeah. SNL, by the way, for people that are unaware? This, this so, weekend, I believe. This Saturday, I think it's, yeah? Yeah, this, this Saturday, Saturday. Elon Musk, SNL. We don't know if he's going to be mentioning Dogecoin. If, if, they, if they do a skit about Dogecoin <laughs> and Elon Musk has something about him just being on his phone tweeting about it, a dollar. I mean, that's just like that. That's as I think as big as it could get for right now, and until yeah. he starts selling Teslas and Dogecoin. Sure. Well, by <laughs> the way, Jeremy, I don't know if you saw that video that we did, but yeah, huge shout out to you. He's followed a lot of your channel, and he bought a lot of the stocks you recommended years ago, like Tesla and Revolve, and I guess a few others. I, I appreciated that, man. Yeah, I would I would hate on him, but that's my boy, man. He gave me a shout out. <laughs> we're good for life, man. So okay, if you guys if you guys were talking to him, what what advice would you guys have given him? Because I gave him three options. I told him either just cash out everything, pay those short-term capital gains taxes, or leave your initial investment of 180k in there, take the rest out, or I gave him three options. I forget the third one, but what would you guys do? Personally, I, I I don't think you can give a, a a man like that any advice. Like I just don't think mm -hmm. he you can even give any sort of advice because he's not playing it safe. He's in this to ten mil. Like what what can you tell him? He's not going to listen to you. You know what I mean? Like there's just there's nothing you can tell somebody that wants to engage in that sort of activity. It's like be like somebody at a casino and they're 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 like I'm going to double this up five times, no matter what, and they keep it out there. And you're like, okay. no, pull it up. Like that's that's fair. Okay, so if that was you and you were in his position and you had two point five million dollars worth of Dogecoin, what would you do at this point? Would you write it out or would you sell it? I would have probably already sold. I'll be honest. I would have probably sold it. 500k so i would never <laughs> got to that 2.5 mil i don't know what you guys have to say what about you guys yeah i don't know you know what uh, i actually i find i watch this channel i'm sure you guys have seen him beat the bush he has some yeah. fantastic yeah. videos and uh, he made a video this morning really outside the box thinking about how he values dogecoin i think for him right now he has almost like five hundred thousand dollars with the dogecoin that he bought in uh, I think with like a hundred grand originally, so he's like five X his money, but he came up with this whole theory about how Dogecoin could be valued uh, per transaction. And that if you add up all the transactions and compare it with that at Bitcoin, the price of Dogecoin could one day be worth like $3, believe it or not. And uh, it was, it was just, it's just an interesting way to value something. I, I don't mean, understand what what is his assumption in people using it more as far as transaction value. I don't understand that because assumption. then there's more utility. So, like for for example, if if all of a sudden it could be treated as a currency, and that the the amount of of people buying in and actually transacting with it would help stabilize the price to a higher level. Go and watch his video. He he, I, he breaks it down pretty nicely. I, I guess I, 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 I can't. 
Sorry, I yeah. just don't understand the assumption why people would suddenly start using it as a currency. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying that's a big assumption. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. I think uh, it's Be probably yeah. at some point worth worth a watch. I, but I, I have to say I'm surprised. Yeah. It's it's uh it's at 4,800 views. It sounds like it deserves more views. You know, I love I love his channel. Little under nine percent. I mean, it's it's a higher dislike ratio than he usually has. And the first comment is, this is an absolutely insane way to look at this madness. It's so crazy. It might just be tangible. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I mean, what you're describing maybe kind of aligns yeah. with that. But what do you mean with like a, a currency? Because I, one of the concerns I have is what if these all end up in, and, and I don't know if did that show up on screen, right? I hope it did. But anyway, okay, thanks. Uh, you know, what's what happens if uh, these end up being called crypto securities instead of <laughs> cryptocurrencies, you know? Crypto collectibles. Yeah, collectibles yeah. yeah i think that's a that's a good chance but i also think that right now if there's this much momentum elon musk i think would be stupid not to sell teslas in dogecoin i think it just fits <laughs> with his brand and i think it would be it would be amazing exposure for for really at any company at this point would benefit from just saying hey we're going to accept dogecoin as payment beginning this date they're going to get a whole bunch of eyeballs on them it's going to be good for their business whether or not people actually use it but I think it's crazy enough of a concept where people might just have fun, be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy Dogecoin and then buy something with it." And it's gonna well, be like this cool novelty aspect of it. Well, two things. I feel like if Elon would have, like, I feel like at this point Elon should have already started accepting Dogecoin. So obviously, there's some red tape there. Um, and secondly, and this is something Dogecoin millionaire said, he's really, I guess, riding the wave on the utility part of it, where people are using it as a currency. But the truth is, is that there's actually other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin Cash, for example, which are used and accepted in arguably more stores worldwide than any other cryptocurrency. And so utility, as far as actually using it to buy things with, doesn't necessarily translate to the price increase that some people assume for it to be. And so it's not like this panacea, like where it's like, oh, it solves everything. Amazon started accepting Dogecoin. We're going to ten dollars. It's just, you don't you can't equate the two. That's not how it works. I think that's what's so wonderful about Ethereum is the NFT usage. I, I really think the NFT usage usage is what's blown that up because you know Bitcoin. The argument is. Uh, oh, it'll be a global currency one day, but then the counter is not with 15 minute wait times for blocks. And so then you have, okay, well then it's a, it's an inflation hedge. Okay. Well, what if there's no inflation? Like what do you got left at BTC? Is that maybe why Ethereum's running? I don't, I don't know. Have you guys seen the price of Ethereum lately? Jesus. Yeah. It's a man. Hit like 35, 36. I don't even, I gotta show you what it is now. <laughs> uh, so, so people aren't really talking about this yet, but I, I made a video for tomorrow about this, but, um, there's, uh, the EIB, the European Investment Bank, they just issued 100 million euros worth of two-year bonds using Ethereum. True story. Wow. This is crazy. So the How the, do you hear about this? Why I didn't I've done a lot of research on that today. I did not see one article mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. So the EIB, which kind of is one of the major banks that funds the European Union, which remembers a collection of these 27 European countries. And it's it's partially what funds uh, corporations, countries, and anything that I guess 
forwards the agenda of the European Union and they issued 100 million euros, two year bonds using Ethereum, which is like, that's the biggest validator for Ethereum and just crypto in general that I've ever heard of. Yeah, you wanna know the, the fun part is, wow. you wanna buy those bonds, the yield is zero. zero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's not negative though, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> they were given three uh, AAA rating though, which is kind of oh, cool. Yeah. But I, I, sure. That's because of the EIB, not because of you know Ethereum no, being a, a really solid. Well, Ethereum is just the 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 way of really recording uh, that it exists. I mean, Ethereum's not not the the token is not the. Uh, underlying security it's it's right. just the representation of the bond the usage. it's it's yeah. kind of like uh it's kind of like uh, you know if i had a piece of paper and and it said uh you know tesla stock certificate this could just be an ethereum magic trick token <laughs> andre magic trick did, did not work but anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it, it's cool it's cool, cool because it's cool because it, part of what makes Ethereum so great is unlike Bitcoin, which is partial, which is hugely supply and demand with Ethereum, it's like it, it's gaining in price because of people using the blockchain as it was meant to be used, whatever that might be right for Bitcoin. Right. That's that's using it as money. But for Ethereum, it's, you know, decentralized finance, it's NFTs, it's whatever it's going to end up being. And what's interesting is now that we're creating more use cases for it, each and every one of them requires people to stake their Ethereum. And now that we're moving over to a proof of stake model, consensus model, right? It's re it's requiring people to lock away their Ethereum, which decreases the supply, which moves the price forward. And so the more use case behind Ethereum, the more get locked away. And that's why the value is going up. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to look back in 10 years and just compare all of the predictions of and, and how things ended up like you know, watch in 10 years, Bitcoin's just not even close to number one. Like Bitcoin falls to five, <laughs> you know? Oh, I God. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but it could. You yeah. still think Bitcoin's going to be number one? I still think, no, I think that it could be number two at worst. Worst case okay. scenario is number two. We get the flipping, right? But Ethereum aren't you mostly BTC? I mean, your, your portfolio isn't like 90% BT? No, not 90%. It's like 60, 70. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got Ethereum, a lot, a lot of Ethereum. Like uh, I'm, something like that. I'm wondering, you know, yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, with all this crypto hype and all the crypto excitement, I'm wondering if that's one of the reason a lot of, you know, a lot of the retail trader stocks are been selling off so hard. And it seems like there's no money to buy stocks in the stock market right now. <laughs> I mean, reporting, point. you know, some of the most amazing earnings you could possibly imagine and their stocks aren't moving or they're going down. And I'm just like, what happened to the money? Did it all go to crypto because cryptos are hot and everybody's buying Ethereum and Doge and all these other things right now? Like, what is going on? I mean, it's crazy because, like, if you think about it, well, when people hear, uh, you know, whatever, Dogecoin millionaire or whoever, they're like 10xing, 5xing their money. I mean, 2x in the stock market is 10 years. You have to be invested in the stock market for 10 years to double your money. I mean, unless yeah. you like. Unless you're Kevin, unless you're Kevin buying call options on uh, <laughs> what is what's some of the ones you've been buying lately, some crazy ones. CCIV, were you up CCIV like almost double on that? Oh, initially? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's all uh, the, the market is uh, if you want it to be a roller coaster, it can be a wonderful roller coaster. That's true. You. But I mean, OK, <laughs> let's say you're a, a, a my type of investor, yes. a grand type where you're buying mostly yeah, indexes. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be in the market for 10 years before you double your money. And Unless crypto, you buy Kathy Wood, 
She thinks <laughs> you're in for five years, five okay. years for doubling. And okay. with the latest sell-off, her argument is triple. No, is it? Is it yeah, no, she thinks she's going for a triple in five years now because the latest Wait, sell-off. So is that based on a 14% yearly return? Ooh. Um, because I'm assuming the stock market does seven. So rule of 72 divided by seven, 10, right? So 14, double that. Yeah, because I, I think she's pushing now for, for even a higher percent annually based on these lower prices. I don't right. remember uh, exactly what her reference point was, but one of her videos, she was saying, hey, this stock market sell-off has been wonderful for us because what it's really doing is uh, meaning that instead of going for, for that, uh, that double in five, we might go for a triple in five and we're buying the dip, so to speak. The problem she, is, and, yeah. and this is what's so twisted, with with uh, investing is if you look at the fund flows from May of last year through February, about the end of January, February of this year, uh, the fund flows and ARC have just been, here's more money, more, 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 more. Nobody leaving the fund with the exception of like one moment in September. Uh, lately, the last two months, they've been like flat because they have in, out, in, out, like equal out as in. They're just, they're not growing right now because it's like, Ah, nobody wants ARC. <laughs> she's, but she's pitching this fund and it's like the, the price could go down half. And then she yeah. could still be pitching. Well, now we're going to be doubling our money every year and it keeps dropping. <laughs> well, now we're going to be doubling in six months and just ride this thing down and be like, tomorrow it's going to do Just trying to get people <laughs> to buy in. When does it end? Wow. Like at what point is she like, hey, like five years from now, unless the market doubles like this afternoon, I think maybe I, she's I, wrong. Yeah, I, I nope, think Andre's got a, not wrong. I think right. Andre's got a good point though, because if you are especially retail investors and you're looking at you know Dogecoin just I don't know triple up or quadruple up before eyes, and you're thinking about oh maybe I'll buy Palantir stock or TTCF and Tesla and maybe I'll double my money over years, and you're watching cryptos double in the matter of weeks, like. You know, especially if you have more of a mindset of like trying to, I want to double my money tomorrow. Where are you going? You're going to crypto land, right? And, yeah. and not even just Doja. You'll go to altcoins. You'll go to, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. That's all I say. And, and, and you know, it's like one of the craziest things is when a retail investor looks at prices, they'll look at like actual prices and they'll just compare and they'll say, well, Amazon is, you know, several thousand dollars or whatever it is. And it's just like, well, Doge is a penny. It's so cheap. And it's, yeah. it doesn't make sense, but that's how retail <laughs> investors think. They, they just look at the objective prices and this seems cheap. If it's a penny, well, it could be worth two. I could double my money. <laughs> the question yeah. is, when is the top? Because, you know, you're starting to get a lot of this, this vibe of like topish type stuff happening where you know, yeah. you're getting the story about the Dogecoin millionaire and Elon's going on SNL and, and cryptos are just super hot. And so it's like, okay, where's I, the short term I, top? I have a personal answer to that question, but I don't know if it's the same for you guys. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But for me, it's whenever I feel like FOMO, like legitimate FOMO, I'm like, oh my God, I'm missing the boat. I really need to buy this. It like uh, 10 out of 10 times, anytime I've thought that and I've fallen for that, it has been the top. Like never have I ever been like, oh, I need to get in on this and actually made money. So for me, anytime I feel FOMO, guarantee you a million other people feel FOMO. So that that's my personal answer. I don't know about you guys. I felt so. I felt that today when my wife's like, oh, I already made 500 bucks on my little teeny investment in Doge. And I was like, mm, why? <laughs> Doge. I just made a couple mil quick, man. <laughs> but Gosh. Yeah, I'm did, you, did you buy in, Jeremy? Did you finally buy in some Bitcoin? Oh, I need to. 
uh, maybe I'll I'll do it live uh, while we're on this. I'll buy literally Bitcoin while we're on this. On I, I, right. did you guys I would see do sixty forty Bitcoin Ethereum? I did fifty fifty. That was my recommendation. Do do Not a split. Uh, Ethereum is up three hundred and something percent from when I first bought in, which is uh, insane. What's, what's that? that? Fabulous Voyager. It's like a okay. service uh, service error. We're sorry. It appears something. It, it happens all the time, man. Voyager. I'm telling big. you. I'm telling uh, you, Jeremy. You got to stick dude. with the big ones. Yeah, I'd go to Coinbase on that. I've been what? really happy with Coinbase, Coinbase Pro. Pro. Coinbase, Coinbase Pro. Coinbase Pro. One day, same thing. Hey, same thing. Yeah. One day I logged into Voyager and it loaded up and it said my account balance was zero zero zero, and I got like. <laughs> 70k in there and i was a like, miniature heart what? attack <laughs> What, <laughs> dude have you guys seen warren buffett and charlie munger like completely crap on bitcoin oh, yes. in the in the berkshire hathaway meeting mm -hmm. dude, we have like so they say some vile things man charlie munger does not pull punches he's just like oh it's crap i hate yeah. it Yes. And it sounds so emotional. I don't even know how to address it. Like it's so ridiculous. Like he's, he says he hates the success of Bitcoin. Why would anybody ever say that? Like that's such an emotional statement to say. Yeah, he trashed Robin Hood too. He said it was God awful and that it was a disgrace for civilized uh, people <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to gamble. Uh, like this, I, I, I wrote that I have this quote down here. It was, it was something horrible that he said on this. It was, I mean, uh, it, it was pretty bad options because, uh, you're, you're, yes. you know, usually options are, are options, your yeah. derivatives that, uh, only hedge funds are using. I now own Bitcoin. I just bought it guys. How uh, much? Where'd you buy it? Uh, well, I, it only lets me do five thousand dollars inflows at a time through Voyager. Uh, so I just bought five thousand dollars worth right now. Well, then nice. get on Robinhood and buy the other ninety-five thousand. No, don't do get on Robinhood. No, do not. Do not do that. <laughs> you you no. can't buy cryptos on Robinhood in Nevada. At least last yeah, time man. I checked. Oh, this really? is also yeah. true. This is also really? true. I can't buy any crypto in Nevada. But nope. don't buy it on crypt on Robinhood because you can't move your coins off there. Yeah. Right. Coinbase but, Pro. And they'll give you instant access. I think once you verify your information, I think they allowed me like 25 grand at, at like the very beginning and they'll give you instant access to it. It's just, you can't take your money off the platform for the first few days. So yeah. what, what is, what is, what is Bitcoin valued at right now? Andre, a little over a bill, a trillion, right? Yeah. Market yeah. cap. Yeah. Okay. So imagine you're, you're Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, right? And you watch Bitcoin go to over a trillion dollar market cap. And people, like how relevant is Bitcoin in the world other than people buying it just to store money in, right? And, and Warren Buffett famously has always ve been very against gold too. He's like, what's the purpose of gold? It just sits there and does nothing for you. You can mm -hmm. polish it and you can look at it and you're like, ooh, my gold. But what does it do? What, what does it actually produce? It doesn't do anything. It's just a place that's supposed to store value and hopefully go up over time, right? And so they built an amazing business model that produces billions and billions of dollars of cash flow. And their, their company's worth half of what Bitcoin is worth. And so you think about it from that context, and I would be, you know, potentially a little jaded as well. Because who uses Bitcoin? I don't know anybody that uses Bitcoin. Thieves. Other than, buy it. <laughs> other than, other than literally to buy it and just, you know, uh, you know, hope it goes no, up. No, thieves and crooks, Jeremy, because <laughs> thieves and crooks don't use dollars. No, but by their logic, then what is the use of real estate? It's a house. It doesn't produce cash you just live in it that's useless 
Well, like, at least, at no least different to me. At least you need a roof over your head. That's the case you can make again uh, for that, right? But Bitcoin, they're like, you know, like no one's even using Bitcoin. So that's not true, though. People are using it to store their wealth. They're they're using it as a hedge against. <laughs> Joey's like, he just likes to kick the dust, and he's just like, I'm gonna leave that here. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but. I, you know, I, I understand it because I, I I do look at gold. I've always looked at gold, and I've been like, "Why would you want to own a gold? I've never owned gold. I have no interest." A gold. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like, what is it? like? I I think it's such a doomsday philosophy. Like, let's buy gold, and you know, it, it's. I'm just like, what's the purpose, man? And um, but anyways, you know, listen, we're gonna we got to come back to stocks. We got to come back to crypto. We yeah. got to talk about Kevin. Oh wait, you, before I got I got to throw my thought yeah. in on on this. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's really. Quick. You and Governor. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, one moment then. Uh, I think I'm, and I'm trying to play devil's advocate just to see where where Buffett and Munger maybe are coming from with the crypto. I think their concern is probably, and and I'm, uh, you know, trying to think like if I were in their shoes, I think they've seen so many people get absolutely obliterated in the stock market, go to millionaire to zero. And it's, it's the people who make a lot and then lose a lot who end up getting really jaded. They get out of the market and, and they, they think it's rigged and manipulated and they never stay in it. Uh, Munger and Charlie or uh, Munger and, and Buffett, they're always margin of safety, no debt, buy and hold, long run. Buy mm -hmm. things that are proven. And so this is the complete opposite. Like Bitcoin is the complete opposite of everything they believe in. I mean, sure, we we can say, oh, Bitcoin is, is a depreciating coin or, or, or whatever. Therefore, it's an inflation hedge. But wait, a, or deflationary coin. Therefore, it's an inflation hedge. But wait a minute. Has that actually been tested? What like what's the history of inflation testing? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, we haven't had any inflation. Bitcoin wasn't around in the 70s or 80s. It hasn't been tested. What if there ends up being no inflation? What if this, you know, and, and therefore the store of value starts evaporating? So I think like if I'm putting the devil's advocate hat on, that is maybe where they're coming from. Uh, in addition to the fact, and, and I don't think that what I'm about to say is, is what they're thinking, but it doesn't help that every time you mention crypto uh, or you see comments about crypto, everybody is always on the same page of, oh, crypto is going to the moon. Like there, there is no downside in the world of 99% of crypto investors. And that's usually when people get hurt, when they just, there's like no possibility of a downside. No, don't even talk about that. Yeah. Like this and morning, I'm, I'm like, hey, there's a real chance. I mentioned this, there's a, there's a chance. Well, you could see Ethereum go back to 1900 at one day. Maybe you buy at that point. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but people are getting pissed off at me even for suggesting mm -hmm. that. Just saying. <laughs> no, you're right. I think you're 100% right. Not to mention the fact that they're also in their 90s and they don't understand technology and they've missed Apple. They've they've missed literally everything <laughs> related to tech. So I don't blame them. And I also have the biggest, like the highest respect for them just because I think it's easy for us like as, as young investors to uh, have like disproportionate amount of money invested into, I guess, like high growth stocks and make far more than like the S&P 500. And I think it's easy to confuse that and think like, well, I'm a better investor than Warren and Charlie because I make like more returns. But it's like, yeah, but let's see how your returns are when you're 90 and you're doing this stuff. So it's like, <laughs> yep. that's really long term. So, I mean, 
I still have a lot of respect for them. I think they are doing it right, but I totally understand their perspective too. I just think they're wrong. Yeah, I think their 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 return over or Buffett's return over his career, which people, if you say this in the near term, like you say this over the the scope of the last few months or the last year, people are like, "That's laughable." I'm going to do more than that my whole life. Their Buffett's like average career return seventeen point like one percent or something like that. That's mm. actually phenomenal. When you consider that the S and P five hundreds uh, a dividend reinvested return was what like nine percent, yeah. I think seven percent yeah, plus like dividends that. like nine yeah. percent, right? Seventeen percent. That's like double over the long run. It's it's, it's incredible. But tr fun fact: over the last ten years, they've underperformed the S and P five hundred. Also true. <laughs> yeah, the so average has been know. falling. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I want to I want to come back and, and talk about Buffett and, and Munger a little later in, in regards to they had some specific commentary around, um, you know, the next generation. What it sounds like Munger is trying to say is the next generation's not looking good as far as like actually building wealth. And, um, you know, let's just put it that way. But I want to come back to that. I can't wait, Kevin. I got to figure out like what's going on with this governor thing, man. Are you running like like what's going on, man? I just can't wait anymore. Golly, you know, it's 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 a really exciting prospect and and real consideration. I, I think uh, I've, I've we've talked so many times about leaving California and, and about how many things are broken. And uh, I just think there's got to be a way to at least try, like at least that way I can I, I can always know, like try to fix it. And maybe I just have, uh, you know this vision that uh, that that uh, is not possible, but I just feel like it has to be. I feel like there is a way to lower taxes and to have better schools and to have better housing, especially from the backgrounds that we all have here on YouTube and, and we've seen how to build wealth. Like I wish governments would, would teach that, teach finance, teach building wealth. And I, I think there just has to be a better way. And California, I feel like has become the epitome of of what not to do in so many regards. And it's just, it's just sad. It's really sad to see the fifth largest economy in the world kind of fall apart. I love what Graham said. He's like, why didn't you run when I was in California? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, I thought it was going to be, I thought it would be a natural progression for you to do news content that worked mm. out fantastically well, but where do you go from here? I think if, if you incorporated politics in this, I, I think that could take you to a whole nother level. Uh, but I think, I don't know, part of me feels like it, it not that it might be too late, but there's got to be some pretty big changes of California for that to make any difference. And I think going in with these ideas, like so many things could, in my opinion, be fake. I, I thought your, your idea of legalizing gambling, mm -hmm. huge. Why don't they do that? What, what's the reason, by the way, that, that I can't go to California and play a game of craps and use dice. They, they found this weird workaround in the uh, some of the casinos there where they use cards instead and they shuffle the cards instead of using dice you can't use dice in california do you do you know why or like what what the reason is of of not allowing gambling because if, if they had a big like win resorts within 30 minutes of la gosh i mean just imagine the 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 tourism that you would get from that I think a lot has to do with uh, relationships with uh, Indian reservations. Uh, I'm not sure how Vegas carved that one out in cooperations, but I know the machine is really complicated and 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 messy. Uh, I think uh, one of the things I, I I think might be the way to do it is, you know how last year 
we had the massive the, the cares act right the massive stimulus package and it had so many changes in it so much stuff in it i feel like california needs something like that something where it's just like disproportionately large and it just has changes to everything across the board all in one massive package and uh and you get everyone behind this massive package that overall is is better for the overall state and we'll figure out the details and make adjustments as we go kind of like they passed the cares act ah this is bad about the ppp well then fix it and they passed the uh, you know like the, the the revision for the ppp or whatever like there's i i, I just maybe i have too much hope <laughs> you know but i i, I think uh, i think it's a, a good thing uh and i'm very excited about uh potentially trying <laughs> i just hope to me have yeah. like I just hope you don't have like headwinds against you because I, I saw a comment or two that was like, oh, we don't need another social media influencer running for government. We already oh, yeah, have you're going to get that. It doesn't and it's matter. just like, it, it's so polarizing. And, and I think what Graham said is yeah. right. Like when you're super idealistic and some, I think everybody as a politician is probably idealistic to some degree going into it. Like I'm going to change the world, but come to <laughs> yeah. discover there's yeah. just it so seems like it, it, as, as one person, it would be hard to make that sort of change when there are millions of people that would all have to be on board with you. And some of the most important people out there would all have to side with you on something like that mm. without a track record. And right. so I think going in with these plans would be tough without like, okay, I did this in the local community and now I'm going in this county wide. Now, like, you know, within, within the county, we made these changes. And now what we could do is once you get that momentum, then it becomes like you could start making these changes. But, but if you do get yeah, it, yeah. I think that'd be the coolest thing ever to be like, we got a podcast and uh, the governor of California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be you know, it's, the, the fun thing that I believe about uh, the way government works is ultimately uh, government is, is what the people want. Ultimately, that's what it's supposed to be. And so say you run on what sounds like a radical platform, no taxes for people under 250K, get people to move back to California build more housing so there are places for people to live and they don't have to pay an arm or leg so a normal person can buy a house and wherever you can build homes whatever uh and and uh you know eliminate homelessness on the streets right like it, so so you have a, a radical ideal but if if the population of california says that wait a minute that's exactly what we want well then it becomes the role of government to fulfill that uh and there's there's a, a neat thing about California and that Cal the California Congress has a lot of power. And if California's Congress is on board with, oh, well, yeah, this is what the people want. And California Congress gets behind uh, big ideas like this, uh, then I think anything is possible. And, and I think if individuals in the uh, California Assembly or Senate realize uh, the amount of impact they could have with, with a big change, uh, it, it would be an example for the world. Uh, I think it'd be really cool. But it, to me, it just seems like the entire concept would need to change in terms of like how they allocate money. Because right now it seems like they just want the biggest budget possible because they know mm -hmm. if they spend all of it, they could say, hey, look, we ran out of money. We need more money now. <laughs> Where if they don't spend it and they have a surplus, then it's almost looked like a shameful thing. Like, oh, what they didn't use all their money to the best of their ability. And now there's they're left over. We, we don't need to fund that anymore. And so it creates a cycle, I think, of just throwing money at the problem. They need more money, throw more money at it. They go and spend it because that's the only option or they lose it, throw more money. It's just, it's, it's a waste. I think there's so much just wasteful spending. 
And it's like, you know, so if someone if someone's paycheck to paycheck, the solution is not make more money. A lot of the times it, it's it's cut back, find out where the inefficiencies are, and then as you start making more money, sock that away in investing, reinvest that back into into other areas where you could start making more money and build up from there. But I think the first is is gotta be spending. And then after that, solve the rest of the problems in terms of how much you well, need. Well, I to wanna make. hear what Andre right, and Graham yeah. think about that because yeah. I, I just wanna mention I actually believe one of the easiest solutions that that people can have uh, in their life when they are paycheck to paycheck is making more money. Things, everything becomes easier if you have that extra income, that second income, or you get a better job, or you ask for a raise. Look, if you're working, uh, making twenty thousand dollars a year, and and let's say you go to, let's say you went to a paid for school for two years, and uh, you still had your twenty k your job, but you you put yourself through two years of school, you became a licensed electrician when you came out, and all of a sudden you went from making twenty k a year to sixty k a year. A lot of problems start evaporating. But those are, but those are such, but those are such specific. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. And then compared to California, which has this insane GDP, California doesn't have an income prop. California is making more money than, than I think they know what to do with. <laughs> so obviously, if you pick an example of someone working minimum wage, living in a high cost of living, obviously the problem is not, you know, they need to spend less money. Less but, coffee, but right. Less coffee. <laughs> but if you have someone making a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, in a in a you know low cost of living area, and somehow they're they, they they don't they can't save money, then the problem is spending. I I think California's example. The problem is not they're not they're not making enough money with yeah, the tax I, rate the way it is. They're making enough money. Now it I, becomes a problem of spending. I tend to agree with Graham about the the income thing. I, I don't think it's like a make more money problem. And I don't want to be that guy, but uh, crypto is the solution. No, I, 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 th I think that blockchain really honestly is. Like what happened with the EIB, how they issued the bonds. And now we can kind of track, if we really wanted to, theoretically where that money's being allocated. And I always thought that if you're going to tax more, that's fine. Tax me more. But I would love to be able to have a more direct role that's more hands-on in being able to allocate where that money goes with like a voting system that's transparent, that everybody can see like, where is that money going? And I think mm. collectively we would make a better decision um, than, you know, just no, having no idea where that money is going. I, and don't, I don't think so. The, the issue becomes self uh, selfishness and that people wouldn't want to spend money on things that doesn't directly benefit them. Like, let's say, you know, cleaning up a school system in another county and, and that's going to cost, you know, you an extra $10 a month. I bet a lot of people, eh, well, that doesn't impact me. Well, I'm not going to vote for it. You would only yeah. allocate what you, the taxes that you've put into it. So you couldn't like reallocate other people's money. So if you notice in your own city that your roads look like crap, you're probably going to do something about it. So yeah, but, but then, and, and but I mean, then the options, also the options wouldn't have to be something so self-serving. They could be a community-based options, right? And that's that's what could be allocated. It's not like, you know, it, it's self-serving in that way. If, if I'm giving you options that are more based on like the public's good, then you're forced to pick from those. And so I think that's an easy workaround. Yeah. But, the, but then if you start allocating, like how much you put in is like your voting, right? Then like the wealthiest people would control where the money goes. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, hold on, hold on. You it's could, true. you could decide where the money goes in proportion to how much you contribute. Why is that Gosh. not fair? Hold on. Why is that not fair? And I mean, you don't give yeah. rich people like the option to like decrease their taxes or something. I mean, you give everybody, you know, equal amount of options. You don't treat the because, rich people. Because, like, because it, it, it's, and, and here's the, like, I, I'm not against the idea. I think it's a really interesting idea, 
but but then it becomes like because that top 10% pays the majority of, of of tax then it becomes like they're the ones controlling which which things get passed and, and what you know who gets no no what. I'm not, no I'm I not think, talking about yeah. past I'm just talking yeah. about where is that money being allocated to build but they what would choose but they would choose because because if you're paying into it like 90 percent of the population they, they couldn't override what the top 10 percent would want to choose where that's allocated so there's nothing stopping people from Beverly Hills being like oh you know what I, I we need uh we need now brand new ficus streets and rose bushes around sunset yeah Boulevard. but that's too open-ended though that's too open-ended it would have to be based on like bullet points that's good uh, good for the community let's say how about this I, I think would be actually really interesting is if everyone has an equal vote so one vote is worth one vote in terms of where the money goes and may and maybe then in terms of which gets voted to the top then it becomes uh, you know how much you put in is is affected on your vote on like the you know the top options that are listed so that way everyone yeah. has to vote if they want beverly Hills yeah, yeah. a new rose garden no, not, for sure i'm not saying yeah. that we should like necessarily give people more power that pay more taxes that that's just an option but I, but regardless yeah. the whole point is that if you make that money transparent and we can follow it i think that's way better progress than not knowing yeah. where the hell our money is going whether it's use you know being used <laughs> to fund <laughs> 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 Choosing mothers choose Jif, bro. <laughs> uh, Kevin, yeah, what do you think? I mean, that's that's my solution. I, you, I know, know you, guys, you guys ran away a little bit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was fun. no. Hey, it's 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 fascinating. Uh, you know, look, I'm I'm for. Uh, uh, I mean, those what you guys are talking about is just rebuilding government. You guys are talking about like tear it down and just rebuild. Yeah, restructuring. <laughs> sure, you sure. guys are gonna go to an island and make your own government. <laughs> like this is the model. Uh, you know, I'm. I think there are uh, there are real things that could be done to make California kick ass again. You know, like okay, I mean, it's simple to me. Like, do you think tourism goes down because Muscle Beach is uh, you know, now a tent city? Yeah, you know, does that decrease revenue? Yeah, is there are there spending problems in California? Oh yeah, <laughs> can a lot of those be fixed? Sure, over time, and that's a huge priority as well as is, is cutting spending. In fact, one of the one of the things that I think is so great, and I think it's like this wonderful Trojan horse, and I love Trojan horses, is the fact that Joe Biden saying, "Hey, we'll pay for community college." I, immediately when I heard that, my brain is spinning, going. I'm gonna call all my high schools, community colleges, boys and girls. <laughs> I don't have to pay for it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like if you give people a lot of money, it's very difficult to just say, hey, we're cutting back on your favorite program. So like, I'm not saying California is beyond saving, but I just think it's very, very difficult. No, to no, no. You, you, you don't, you don't go in with it. Look, you're, you're not going to do anything trying to uh, go in and go. That's it. All you, For sure. uh, you know, recipients <laughs> of money from the government, you're losing that now. That's that's right. not how you solve problems. Uh, I think the way you you would have to solve these would be over time. So, for example, let's say you have a uh, a bond. Hey, maybe it's even secured or represented by Ethereum tokens. You have a California, you know, change bond or whatever you want to call it, and uh, it's a it's a you know tax free whatever uh, bond. And uh, now people can invest in this. So that means California raises money and, and they pay interest on this. Great. So uh, they get a return. They get a tax break. We get to borrow money, basically. Tenure bond, whatever. Now you, you use this to implement change. So maybe you create 
let's say here's just one example. You create uh, the small claims court change I talk about. You create a license for people to become small claims attorneys, uh, up to $100,000 uh, cases, like advisors for that. Now you create a school around that as part of the community college system. And so you use the money you have to get people educated. Now what happens when people who are on welfare, uh, who are uh, on Medi-Cal, get educated, and all of a sudden they can make an income and all of a sudden go from being on welfare at the poverty line or below the poverty line, uh, go to making 60, 80 K a year. Guess what happens over time? They leave welfare. They leave Medi-Cal. That's how you start freeing up money. Now you start producing more profit for the state and uh, you pay back that bond. And then you get a balanced budget with a smaller government and less need for this, this golden handcuffs where people feel like they've been failed by the education system and they get trapped into, well, I guess I need rent control. It's not their fault they're stuck in rent control. It's they weren't freaking educated. What do, you, um, what do you peg the interest rate of the bond uh, to? Yeah, I mean, those are all things, you know, TBD. Uh, I, I would imagine. I'm just wondering because, like, I, I imagine it's not going to be much more than, obviously, what the central banks are issuing at. So what, what, how would you incentivize people to borrow or to invest in those? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it'd have to be more than the treasury because the treasury is is less of, a, obviously, that's your risk-free. Uh, it would be less than a city uh, because a city can go, is much more likely to go bankrupt than the entire state. Uh, but there, there's certainly risk involved. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Is that a, is that a risk-free just for example, two, per, uh, you know, it's not risk-free. Is that maybe a 2% and then can you get tax breaks on that because it's a state or Muni or whatever? Uh, and maybe that's worth, you know, 3% to some rich investors because they're paying 50% on their marginal dollar. Hey, you know, uh, would I rather get 3% from California effectively with taxes considered? We're paying 2% right there, effectively getting 3%. Would I rather uh, get that money from from uh, California or would I rather buy treasuries? And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. do you maybe get California bonds on Apple's, uh, on Apple's balance sheet instead of uh, just U.S. treasuries, right? Those are okay. many, many things to think about. Those are good options. Yeah, some TBDs. I like exactly. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The most, the most annoying thing I feel like about politics is like, don't matter which way you try to go, you you are just in a very negative place immediately, right? You run <laughs> Republican, you got Dems against you. Run as a Dem, you got Republicans against you right off the bat, right? You say, guys, we're going to spend more to solve problems so taxes go up. Everybody's like, I don't want my taxes raised, right? You say, oh, we're going to cut taxes. And then people are like, wait a minute, we need to spend more money because we got all these issues. And so I feel like don't matter which way you turn, you're screwed pretty much as a politician. But Kevin, I, I got a question for you because Graham brought up something interesting earlier about like, you know, um, kind of like working your rank, ranks up the uh, the political system, you know, where you go county or city or whatever. Would you ever consider doing that? Or is that not even a realm you'd consider as far as kind of like, you know, doing something a little smaller scale and kind of working up? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy's like, I paid my dues. I got the silver plaque. Okay. <laughs> I got the gold plaque. Next up, governor. Yes, yeah, <laughs> natural, I feel like Kevin could, Kevin could probably skip a few of the ranks, I think just because of the of the YouTube channel. But I don't know going from YouTube channel to governor. I think YouTube channel to, to maybe something like count county well, like there's got to be some in between to to get in there cuz yeah, because cuz outside of YouTube there would be a lot of people who maybe really like your your uh, your thinking. But just worry that you don't have the track record. Are yeah. there age minimums, by the way, Kevin? I'm sorry, are there what? Age minimums. 
Uh, I think it's 18 for governor. Oh, is it However, actually? If if wow. I got in at 29, I would be the youngest governor of California. Wow, that's cool. The, 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 wow. I mean, the other issue is like, you know, in politics, it's so much about fame, right? And so, you know, I'm sure we all think like we're big names, but I can almost guarantee you I can knock on every single door in my entire neighborhood and no one would have a clue. Uh, any of us, they'd be like, who the hell is Grant? <laughs> they don't know, right? But I can guarantee you if I ask them who Caitlyn Jenner is or who uh, Bruce Jenner is, you know, they would they would know, oh, that's the person that was in the Olympics. Oh, they're in the Kardashians. Oh, they had this, you know, uh, a change and whatnot, right? And so everybody knows them, right? And so that's the problem. That's and then you got you got to go against the Kardashians and the Jenners and all that fame yeah. and social media. Yeah, but but Kevin, mean? Kevin would be able to reach a few hundred thousand people just constantly <laughs> posting videos that he's running for governor because eventually the algorithm would be like, oh, people in California are watching this video longer than usual. We're going to start recommending these videos for people to watch like political content. So I think Kevin could probably do a lot of work just posting videos on YouTube. Well, the problem is, let's say Kevin gets 300,000 views on a video. Maybe 30,000 is coming from California, but probably right. a lot less than that, right? Right. So you're really only reaching a, like a fraction of how big California is. You know, how many people live in California? 40 million or some ridiculous number? But I mean, that's yeah. only 49 in a bit. Yeah. The <laughs> Here's the thing. It's, it's not easy. You got... You know what? Five minus eleven. You got six months to uh, run a campaign in front of, you know what? Twelve, thirteen percent of the U.S. population. That's huge. That's the biggest state. Uh, you've got. Uh, you, there's a lot of work to do. It's not just YouTube. It's it's everything. It's rallies. It's TV commercials. It's door knocking. It's mailers. It's phone calls. It's volunteers. It's it's a campaign. I feel like if there's anyone yeah. that can find the time to do it, it would definitely be you. But I, I mean, was about to say, if if anybody could do it and find a way to make it happen, I I would have my money on Kevin for sure. And because yeah, because he's constantly surprised me on on every aspect. So I wouldn't be surprised that like some someday something crazy like that happens. I mean, I at some point, somebody has to become a governor or like somebody in office who's from YouTube. Like that has to happen at some point. <laughs> like our first YouTuber governor. And I, I guess Kevin is the best we have so far and by far. So, yeah, well, it, it's Kevin for governor. You know, I think fame is so important, I feel like, in political um, elections going forward. I mean, I think, you know, you, you look at you know, Biden getting elected, super famous because he was vice president already, right? You look at Trump. I mean, Trump's been famous since the 80s. You know what I mean? Like like Trump was famous in the 80s, man. Like, you know, you see old clips of him on Oprah back in the day, right? When Oprah was like in her prime and that show was huge and he was giving these, um, you know, uh, philosophies and they were asking him back in the 80s, are you ever going to run for, for president? Like, I don't know if you guys ever seen those videos before. That's crazy, right? And so, yeah, he's been setting that up for like decades and decades with crazy fame, like, you know, that just, you know, from The Apprentice and WWE and all that stuff. But that's, but that's president, Jeremy. Like, I feel like governor yeah. is a lot more attainable. Well, and also- but, but on that though, Obama and Obamacare, Obama's big push from out of nowhere, we're going to reform healthcare. We're going to make it so that everybody has the public option was the thing that was campaigned on. Remember the Affordable Care Act. Now the public option ended up getting removed, but we got the exchanges. They went through a lot of pain. The transition hurt. 
It was fought tooth and nail throughout the whole process. But here comes someone from literally out of nowhere to president of the United States and gets the Affordable Care Act through and actually affects change. Now, how much of that was good is obviously up for substantial debate. And I'm not about to debate the ACA because that's a very, very polarizing thing. But, uh, you know, it, you don't have to come from from the Trumpian background. Yeah. Uh, well, so Obama was before the really like big social media era. I think that's something important. Mm. And also, like, I got to say, like, I, I started hearing about his name. My mom started hearing about his name way before he actually ran because uh, he was just kind of rising in that party. I think he had a really, uh, from my understanding, he had an amazing speech. I think it was 2004, 2006 inside the party. He came out with a book that just blew up, I believe. And my mom mm -hmm. said all our customers that were, were Dems all had that book on like their, their, their coffee table. This is like 2007 or whatever. And so mm -hmm. he was definitely, I think, you know, rising, but yeah, he, he came up in, in probably a three or four but, years. Span. But also Obama, if you guys remember, he was using social media a lot. Like he really leveraged social media to help him out the presidency. He was probably the first president. Yes. The first president that we've ever had that really leveraged the platform. He really was, especially Twitter uh, and, yeah. and, and other social media aspects. Uh, they nailed it. I mean, the way Obama campaigned was was a mod, a role model, and uh, I actually think uh, the Trump campaign picked up a lot of things from from the Obama campaign. Now, obviously, politics aside, that's what people do. You're like, dang, okay, well, that strategy worked really well. Let's do that. And, and and you know what? People will do the same thing now. Now people will pick up Obama's social strategies, which Trump also used. But then people will also pick up the whole Trump rally concept. So you're gonna see more of that. But you can't become president, right? Like you weren't born here in the U.S., Kevin? I wasn't born oh. in the U.S., which I have to say, even for your sake, Andre, I, I almost think that's just as discriminatory as, as and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say just as, but it's it's very discriminatory, much like, mm. I'm not going to say just as because it's a totally different level, but it's like in a somewhat similar way uh, to race. You were born Asian, you were born black, you were born white, born in Germany, you were born I didn't get to choose that. It's just right. as discriminatory in some regards. Right. Yeah. So just for just for anybody unaware, I'm, I also was not born in the U.S. I was born in Russia, so I can never run for president. Not that. Not that but I, I think want that'll to, go but, away. Yeah. I think that'll change because that's you know this whole the natural born thing. This is like oh we don't want a Great Britain spy coming in here. It's mm. it's bogus. <laughs> that's going to take so long to change. I don't think any any yes. anyone who's in power would ever be like you know what I'm campaigning for. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no president. You know what? Who will do it? It'll be the Supreme Court. That's my expectation. It would be the but Supreme like, Court. The uh, somebody suing and then it getting uh, sent to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court declaring that uh, discriminatory. Done. Kevin, you should have just said uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> I got all this plotted out, guys. I got this. This is 10 years in advance. Hey, what, what country, okay, if somebody was born in another country, moved over here and was running, like what country do you think they'd be most against? I feel like it could be China, Russia. What do you guys feel would be the most? Right now, by far Russia right now, I think. Russia. Okay. Right now, yeah. But but North that Korea. always changes. It's in cycles. <laughs> yeah. You imagine somebody from North Korea. How would somebody even get out of North Korea? That's a, that's another question, man. I heard that's serious. But anyways, no, we're getting way off subject. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> subject. Not talking about escaping North Korea. Okay. So, all right. So, where do we even pivot here? We're talking about uh, California. 
I want to get back to this Charlie Munger because uh, mm -hmm. this is kind of a little bit politically related because Charlie Munger said Bernie won. And from my understanding, he was essentially saying that like future generation, I think he's really talking about the, the generation that comes after the millennial generation, which I don't know if it's Gen Z or what it is. Gen Z, yeah. Yeah, I, from my understanding, he's trying to say because this ultra low rate, you know, uh, ultra low interest rates have pushed up assets so much that that generation is actually going to have a lot more trouble gaining wealth than the millennial generation did. And we know how much trouble the millennial generation had as far as, you know, getting a place where they got some money behind them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what do you, what's your guys? Well, also, do you guys, do you guys remember John, John Bogle, the guy who created Vanguard and Warren yeah. Buffett? I remember reading an article way back when they were saying that in the next 30 years, their prediction is that index funds are going to do something like 4%. And he's like, yeah, don't expect the 7% that we've always expected. Yes. That's not going to happen. Right, and so I'm, I'm, I'm curious why they said that. Um, I don't really remember what the reason was. Probably just saying like they're pulling gains from the future. I think that's there's too much guesswork in that because a lot of that's dependent upon what happens with company earnings. If company earnings are incredible, you know, the stock market is going to continue to roar. In the short term, anything can happen, right? But over the long term, if Apple's earnings keep going up substantially and Google and Facebook and, and Microsoft and Amazon and all these companies, at the end of the day, like, you know, if, if valuations don't rise, then those companies can decide just pay out a bunch of dividend money. And then investors are going to still flock to those stocks because they want to collect a 3%, 4%, 5% dividend yield. So no matter what, that's really dependent upon innovation in the United States of America and um, how much profitability those companies have. Yeah, I just think it's because yeah. as the economy grows, right, it, it kind of you know, the returns get smaller and smaller over time as as as, as companies get larger. So we get less opportunities for those same revolutions that we've had in tech and everywhere else. And so I'm guessing that's another big reason. Yeah. I, you know, I want to just jump in mm. and say, I, look, uh, one thing uh, I, I compare to when I was doing real estate day in, day out as an agent, you know, between 2010 and, and most actively like 2019, uh, what I noticed is technology really gave me the opportunity to serve probably three times as many clients as my father-in-law was able to service because here I am client wants to see a property. Uh, yeah, I show him the property. We walk outside. Hey, you want to write an offer? No problem. We open up my laptop, write it right there, virtually sign it right there or send it to their email. They read it and sign it in their car or whatever. Boom. It's in the agent's right. inbox pre-approval letters texted to me come on like the tools and technology and the ability to make money has 10x expanded i mean people hit me up from all parts of the world and they're like kevin let me do this for you like this optimization on your website or let me help mm -hmm. you do this on your courses or this on your twitter or whatever and it's like there's so many ways to make money uh you know to to get boxed into oh but but market returns are going to be lower go make money <laughs> go make some freaking money and then that's worry true. about market returns. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, I could see that. But I, I feel mm -hmm. like that's not necessarily true for every industry. But I, I think it's, it, you're right. As far as making money, those opportunities continue to grow and expand. But that technological shift and the ability to, I guess, expand and, and leverage that growth, I, I don't know if that appeals and applies necessarily to like every old school S&P 500 company. No, that, yeah, you know, probably not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing is, the older ones, they just get eaten by the newer ones. You know, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah. You know, the yeah. companies that used to be big dogs aren't even big dogs anymore. And there's all these companies on the come up. That so so, so I, I guess a, a relevant question, and, and maybe anybody watching is wondering too, like, is it then prudent or, or smart to start investing into 
more of the tech sectors and, and, and focusing on index funds that are more tech oriented rather than like the old school, the old guard. Is that, is that fair? Is that? Well, it's, it's funny, Andre, because I almost view every good company nowadays that we could actually respect on a high level. They're almost all tech companies. Um, yeah. Even if their business model isn't direct tech, they're using tech to, you know, enhance their productivity. They're using, you know, tech on so many various levels. Um, you don't even have to necessarily be a direct tech company to really be like a tech company nowadays. So, um, you know, yeah, it's just interesting with supply chains. And then you talk about blockchain technology, like, you know, if that's the next vector for even increased productivity, which, you know, is, is if, if every time productivity gets increased, company profitability usually expands rapidly. If company uh, profitability expands rapid, rapidly, right? Those stock prices go up a lot over the long term, right? And returns are obviously, you know, exaggerated. So um, I almost feel like forward thinking tech companies will probably be the first to start adopting crypto, which will be an interesting signal to be like, oh, maybe that's a company I should invest in because they kind of get it. They get the next step of the evolution process until we get like a tipping point and then all the other companies that have nothing to do and don't need anything, they don't benefit from having crypto are gonna start following too. But I think like these opportunities, for example, if I didn't know what stock to invest in, I might want to invest in Tesla because I may not understand Tesla's profitability, let's say, but I'm a big believer in Bitcoin or Dogecoin or whatever it is. So I could yeah. follow their lead and because they started accepting Bitcoin, I might be like, oh wow, that's a forward thinking company. I might wanna put my money into that. And I think yeah. more and more companies are gonna start doing the exact same thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think on that, mean, if you don't mind, just really quick on on that with with the coins. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the dollar system works too in so many regards. You want to buy a car, you put it on your credit card. You want to wire the money, you could do that too. It actually works extremely well. Like, don't get me wrong. There's there's no blockchain record or whatever. It's different kinds of records, double entry accounting records, right? But like. Who cares if the European investment bank bond is represented by a token or a certificate? You know, okay, maybe it's it's a little bit more public, but, you know, and I'm being devil's advocate. Don't get me wrong. I support mm -hmm. crypto. But uh, to some regard, we have a very efficient uh, monetary system that does work. The printing aspect, that's something else. But, but in terms of monetary transfers, I want to send you money. I could do it in seconds. I want to wire you money. It'll be there, <laughs> you know. Like it's it's very efficient as it is. I feel like I don't, I don't know. I think you're right as, yeah. as as utility as as a monetary exchange. But if it's if it's companies that are like for example Berkshire Hathaway that's sitting on a what was it like 130 billion dollars billion yeah. dollars of the cash. It's like well, what are you doing with that money? You're losing it, right? So I mean, if you did put it into something like Bitcoin, you would preserve that value. It'd grow in value, but it's not. It's just sitting there. Unless so it's it collapsed. It's, well, it's not necessary. It could, but it's not necessarily about like replacing the current utility of our monetary system, which, like you said, Kevin, is very efficient. Right. And it works, but it's it, it's about supplementing but it's something. The value, else. but it's yeah. the value that isn't working for people. I think. Right. Listen, having a dollar and being able to give you a dollar instantly. I mean, that's like the easiest thing in the world. But it's like how how much is that going to buy you ten years from now compared to today? And that's where I think the problem is. For a lot of people it's not so yeah. much transactional like cool i don't yeah. i honestly i don't care if it takes a day to move my money from one bank to another it's never it's 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 maybe been a concern of mine once when it's like you're buying a real estate deal and you have to huh. wire the money then it's kind of a pain but beyond that it's it's more the value that i think people are concerned about the, that's what scares me about yeah. crypto is there's just there's nothing you know um 
to really have cryptos back if they really started to go south. And, you know, um, and obviously more and more folks getting invested in it more than ever. Right. Um, and we just there's, like there's nobody there to save the day. Like the dollar is constantly watched and you have all these entities that are watching the dollar and trying to make sure the dollar is OK. Right. And trying to make sure the overall economy is OK and the stock market's OK. Right. Crypto. If crypto crashes, there's nobody there to save the day. The Fed's not there to save right. the day for Bitcoin. Well, well, Jeremy, can can you can you explain to me a scenario? What does that mean when you say crash? Like you mean a, a a price action crash, or like what kind of a crash do you mean? Like a fundamental crash of like what makes it tick, or what do you mean? Uh, like a like a like a a sustained sell off situation where but the that's sell a, but that's a price like a, a price action that doesn't do anything as far as like the fundamentals of what crypto is and supposed to be true yeah but the, the the thing is like you know the more people get invested in cryptos right whether it be bitcoin or whatever right if you know bitcoin all of a sudden goes from 55 i'm not saying this is going to happen but if it goes from 55,000 to 5,000 like there's going to be way more people negatively affected than ever before right where maybe it hits the economy like i see some people i saw an article the other day an nfl player is taking his entire salary in bitcoin essentially <laughs> right i saw that and I'm just like, yeah, cool, man. Right, man. And if Bitcoin continues to go up or it's just stable, good, like, like awesome. But man, if all of a sudden, you know, Bitcoin falls 80, 90% or whatever, like it hasn't done in the past. I mean, gosh, that guy's looking around and he's like, uh, you know, <laughs> man. But that's, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. That's the guy who can take the risk. risk. Yeah. <laughs> but like, right. I, I think the answer to Jeremy's, I guess, concern is, is those are short term risks. That's not like a long term. I'm asking like a, like a black swan event. Like, what do you envision maybe would supplement it or would replace it? Like, that's a valid concern. But if it's a critique of like falling from 55 to five, like, that's, that's probably going to happen. I mean, just as it's always happened in the past, but I, I imagine that as more and more people join the crypto space, as more corporations start adding it to the balance sheet, the price will inherently stabilize and these crashes will be less and less. And then Bitcoin falls, you know, 5,000, it'll be like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. But yeah. I, I, I think long term, that, that's not my concern as far as like, like a black swan event that could like destroy crypto. Well, that's a good point, uh, Andre. And I do feel like if Bitcoin all of a sudden was at 25,000 today for whatever reason, there's going to be a ton of people buying. Like, just there's going to be a lot of buying pressure, right? There's going to be a ton of people like, I've been waiting to buy Bitcoin for 25,000. Mm -hmm. Woo. But yeah, and then you get into other scenarios. I don't know what could happen, other things in crypto. Like, that's way beyond my mindset. But yeah, if there's something fundamental, where people really doubted the, the crypto system, not just because of price action but also because of some fundamental reason that could be maybe a little different and i i don't, I don't really have the brain to go there so. kevin or maybe graham can you guys maybe give me like a yeah, scenario i, I got a little my... bit if you, you yeah. cool if i run with it graham for okay, yeah so, yeah go for it. uh jeremy i think you're you're totally on the right path uh i i'm gonna pick up where, where you left off because you're talking about this sustained price sell-off uh, andre saying oh well wait a minute that's price action i want to hear you talk fundamentals well, here's here's a perfect example of a fundamental. Andre, in this video here, told us two of the main fundamentals are store value and inflation hedge. Well, what if both of those fall apart? Store value, they ain't nothing that's a store of value when it goes from $60,000 to $5,000 or $1,000 for a sustained period of time. Store value idea just evaporated. Uh, so sustained sell-off, store value is out of the window. It's not a store of value in that case. So like when you guys were talking about, hey, Warren Buffett has this $130 million around. Sure, yes, that's going to inflate away at 2%. It's not going to inflate away or, or devalue by 90% in a week, 
which in theory a cryptocurrency could. That that opportunity for Buffett to go acquire a massive company, they're like, you know, Buffett goes, that's it, we're getting into EVs, we're buying Lucid for $40 billion or whatever. They can do that like that. And they know they can do that now in six months and they could probably do it in five years. Their money's not gonna inflate away. But if all of a sudden crypto goes, you know, and all their money's in crypto and it goes down to 1K, you know, now they can't buy that company anymore. Huge opportunity cost, especially if there's a big opportunity for them. So, uh, you know, store value can evaporate very quickly. It hasn't been tested long-term. And again, remember, I always wanna clarify, I'm pro crypto, but this is this is a potential scenario. And then, what if hold on, hold on. Let me address that point before happen. I forget. Sorry, sorry, mm -hmm. So, so, so I, I think that that's a fair point, but I think it's yeah. also subjective as far as like what does it mean? Like, store of value evaporates. I mean, Bitcoin started with cool. literally zero, so it yeah, depends yeah, yeah. on when you got in. It depends on the size of the market, right? And so, it, it, it's it's a very gray line. I, I don't know how to answer that question definitively. Like, well, you know, this at the beginning of this year it was worth thirty thousand dollars. So, if we crash back down to forty, did it really evaporate? Again, it, it, potatoes, potatoes. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, well, it, it, that's fine. I think uh, store value is something that's that's actually, as to your point here, it's undefined. And that becomes risky because if if people are, let's say, just always DCA, dollar cost averaging in, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, 90% of my cash is in, in BTC. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to go buy that house next week. And all of a sudden there's a crypto crash. It wasn't a store of value for you at that point. Uh, and then, then people potentially lose faith fundamentally and well, Dang it, now I missed out on that house because of what volatility or whatever. The second danger is what if it falls apart in the event there is inflation or there is no inflation? And so this becomes an issue too because then the whole argument of, well, hedge for inflation or for not inflation potentially goes away. And here's the the real poopy doopy thing. Wait, if wait, wait, the, hold on. Before you move yeah. on, can you clarify yeah. what you said on the last part? Because you're, you're saying that if there is no inflation, then Bitcoin loses its, I guess, proposition because uh, it's not protecting against anything. It loses its edge at the very least. I don't think that's right, ever right, going to happen. I don't, I don't, that's the whole point of crypto is that like we have control over our money, whereas governments print however much they want. So I don't think there will ever be a case or a reality where we're not protecting ourselves against inflation. Well, I mean, here's, here's where, where that falls apart. And again, devil's advocate, but here's where that falls apart. Crypto goes into, as Jeremy said, a three-year sustained bear market, and it's 60 to 1K, and it's sitting there for years. At the same time, Tesla's going to 2,000. Apple, Tattoo Chef, everything is skyrocketing. People's diamond hands do not stay diamond long. People are good for like two-week dips. Okay, then the paper hands come out. But it's not just because individuals start turning into paper hands. You know what it really is? It's... It's actually one of the things you said, Andre, it's institutions going, okay, we're going into a little bit of a downturn here. We're seeing a rotation away from cryptos. We need to protect ourselves. We're going to hedge against, we're going to short, we're going to borrow and sell, which we know there's leverage, lots of leverage in the crypto system. Now we're going to short Bitcoin and then it actually accelerates and pushes that, that, that crypto value down further. Then what happens? Value goes down, shorts are printing tendies. Now what happens? More people start shorting. And now sure. you can actually get into the system. Not to, not to mention the fact that retail investors are going to talk to their you know, institutionals, their, their banks. They're going to be like, well, how come this person's Tesla portfolio, ARK Invest, is getting 30% and my Bitcoin's losing 50% this year? You're right, 100% exactly. right. I, fig I figured you were going to go there. So uh, <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin has been has been doing that since you know it first was created. So to your point, like if this was to happen, which it, I think absolutely will, at mm -hmm. some point, I mean, I'd be very surprised if it doesn't, sure. then 
the same thing will happen that's happened for the last decade, which it comes back up. It comes roaring back up. And I mean, I don't know at what point the Pandora's box has been opened and smart money has realized that these are the cycles we go through and it'll be temporary. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I know that what your scenario is has happened before and will probably happen again. It has not destroyed the faith of Bitcoin in the past. And I see zero reasons why it will again or, or will in the future anytime ever. Well, there is this interesting thing that Jeremy said earlier. And uh, I liked Jeremy's comparison of Bitcoin to a house in that ultimately a house, you, you, you need to have a roof over your head. Uh, values of houses are somewhat related to rents. Uh, Bitcoin You're talking about house. intrinsic value argument. Yeah, right, that's right, a right. Pandora's no, box. No, but, it, but, it's, but it's actually important because, see, we're, we're looking at the whole history of Bitcoin over a 10-year overall market bull run. I mean, think about it. You're talking about Bitcoin coming in 2010. That's Q, That's the start of QE. Bitcoin has only existed during this money printing phase. What happens when all of a sudden we go, you know, it's five years down the road, we didn't end up having inflation. Modern monetary theory worked perfectly. And I'm just, it's just a scenario, right? Mm. It worked perfectly. Stocks are going, going up again, nice, smooth and steady. The economy's growing. We didn't see inflation. Oh my gosh, central bank functions worked. Then we get a, a, a crypto deleveraging and, and uh, you know, we go into a sustained sell-off. There, there are scenarios where it doesn't necessarily have to come back up because we've only tested it during a, a, a period of time where we've had this insane QE of, of a period of time of 10 years. The stock markets had much longer of a test, right? Even before the Great Depression, uh, housing markets, same thing. I mean, we're talking 100 years versus mm -hmm. 11 years. I, I, think, I think the risk of us uh, not living in a period of QE mm. is is far greater than the odds of Bitcoin going to a million dollars. Like I, I think the odds of Bitcoin going to a million are far higher than us living in a perfect world economy where the government's just managing everything correctly and we're not sure. being robbed. Like that, that's my opinion, but I, I know well, you're really- That's until Kevin runs, until Kevin's <laughs> president. Yes. At which point everyone could sell off their Bitcoin and just put it into dollars. You don't even yeah. need to invest it at that point. Just put also, it in dollars fair, Kevin, in a Kevin, bank account, cash under the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever lived in, 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 in the history of the world in a period where we've not lived under, uh, under these conditions where, where inflation has always at some point robbed people's savings? Like, has that ever been a moment in history where everything's just been fine and dandy and everything's been great? Because, I mean, if that was the case, wouldn't gold be, I mean, how would that play into it? Like, I, I just, I don't know. Has there ever been a moment in history where we've not had inflation well, to some degree? I Hold on, hold on. First off, you know, yeah, Andre, I don't think there's ever been a situation where we haven't had inflation from my understanding. But secondly, it's healthy. You want inflation really at the end of the day. Um, inflation, a lot of a lot of times, you know, it's it's from credit, right? And, you know, credit being out there and new money being sloshed out there, however you want to put it, right? And it's necessary. I mean, if we took away the credit today, our economies are going to crash like so bad right. I can't explain it right we're going to be like point too. yeah that's a great point yeah and so you know it, it's kind of healthy and i think that's kind of the good thing about the dollar is is over time it should lose its value if things are working right um it's you don't want it to not lose its value otherwise i think honestly um we could get into some bad some bad trouble but it's um, a necessary evil is what you're saying which is yeah true. yeah i mean i think you know you you can always look at it as a negative but it's also a positive and um 
so so here's a question okay so and I would love you to answer this, Andre, and maybe hear your perspective on this, Graham, right? So you buy a stock. Let's say I buy Apple stock today, right? My thing is, like, if, if Apple goes down 50%, I feel comfortable because I know Apple's going to likely have their profits go up over time. And even if other folks don't come buy Apple stock so it goes up over time, Apple can just pay me out a bunch of dividend money. If I buy a house... I can say, well, I need a, I need somewhere to live anyways. If this house goes down 50% value, I need somewhere to live anyways, right? And mm-hmm. somebody else is probably going to need somewhere to live in the future as well, right? If I buy Bitcoin and it goes down 50% value, what gives me that ultra confidence outside of somebody else coming along and paying more for it in the future that I'm going to recover my money? Intellect. No, you can't. No, no, you can't work like that. No, no, no. I don't know, man. No, you're, no, you're right. By that standard, that more people will have more confidence in something that's simpler to understand. Where most people don't understand how crypto works, they don't understand that Bitcoin is not a company that has cash flow. That has, you know, it's decentralized. Nobody owns it. It's unregulated. There's a lot more risks. So that's 100% true. That's why. Bitcoin is as volatile as it is, but as it grows, as as YouTube channels like ours talk more about Bitcoin and educate people about what it is and what it was meant for, I, I think that's that becomes more transparent and clearer to understand. And then you know people don't just exit the market because they they see you know price action and they get scared. So I, I don't know to what degree I, I don't know, but I think over time, like I said, that volatility would decrease. What's your opinion on on that that whole situation there, Graham? Uh, you know, stocks, real estate, and then crypto. What do you have to fall back on? You know, Graham, if I if I buy Bitcoin yeah. or Dogecoin, what do I have to fall back on if it falls fifty percent? What gives me confidence? Well, that's that's why I'm only putting like up to five percent of my money in there because I I have the feeling that hey, there there is a chance that uh, something could happen. All of a sudden, it loses ninety percent. I never want to be in a position where. I have to worry about if Bitcoin drops 50%, what am I going to do? It's same with really any, any asset class. I mean, that's why I think that like, ideally I want to be 50, 50 between real estate stocks, index funds, uh, with a little bit of exposure to cryptocurrency and cash. I, I just never want to be in a position where one thing, something could happen and then all of it topples down. So, so- I, to be honest, I don't, I don't have faith in, I don't have a hundred percent faith in anything. I would say I have 98% conviction through, you know, the stock market. I, I have pretty high conviction through a cryptocurrency, almost hundred percent conviction throughout real estate. Uh, but even then it's like, well, you know, how much do I believe in the Los Angeles real estate market to stay, to stay high? And that's why I've, I've tried to diversify a little bit in, in, no, no, Las that's Vegas. why you so, vote yeah. for Kevin. And that's why I vote for Kevin. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, and, and that's why I keep cash. I mean, I certainly uh, pay pay a price for keeping a little bit too much money in cash, but I like the uh, the flexibility it gives me. Where if a good deal comes up, sure, I'm paying a premium now, but I'm able to jump on it. Yeah. See, I think even Graham's answer is like kind of subjective and personal as far as what he's capable of handling emotionally. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's true Andre, for literally any investment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I I just looked this up because I thought it was very interesting. 
And I yeah. give you all credit for this. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and so I'm going to share this with you as if I'm first seeing it here because I only just saw it a few minutes ago here. But you would ask what, what kind of inflation have we seen over history? And I just thought, okay, and I understand this is sometimes looked at as sort of a, a, a weak representation, but it's an easy one that we have, CPI. So I pulled up a, you know, St. Louis Fred. We've all seen this before, CPI. I'm going to pull it up here really quick. So I'll just hide myself for a second. And so obviously we had this insane inflation here in the 70s going into the 80s. Mm -hmm. But I looked at this right here and I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? right here right after sort of this recession 1916 1961 what happened here almost no inflation next to one percent inflation very very low in fact lower than even where, where we are now i'm like why is that so i just did a really really quick rudimentary google on it and i think this deserves more research but this was fascinating i just want to read this right here just this little paragraph very interesting as in the 1960s initially low inflation puzzled many as it came against the backdrop of a tight labor market, leading to much debate among economists about whether the traditional link between unemployment and inflation had broken, right? Just like now. But as in the 60s, they're saying here, it had become clear for some, okay, this is about the Phillips curve, uh, but they talk about here, in our view, this is the disconnection uh, reflected by a mix of structural factors such as globalization and the increasing impact of technology, <laughs> which is the same thing then as as now in some regard and so this deserves a lot more research okay i'm like two minutes okay. deep on this i'm two minutes ahead of y'all on this but i they, it's fascinating and then and they get rid of it the, and then they get rid of the gold standard and the whole thing just blows up in their face well, but temporarily temporarily right yes because okay. you could look at uh the the bitcoin pump to well, 64,000. decades yeah okay well you could look at the bitcoin pump uh, from coinbase the few days of a pump uh from from coinbase potentially is this 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 bump right and I know, yes, decades versus versus a few days here, but no, no, no. Look, you're right. I mean, yeah, you you had this insane like it, like getting a a baby off of a pacifier like fight of oh my gosh, it's not backed by gold. So, so but now it's like reverting. <laughs> it's so weird. Two things: number one, they misspelled globalization in that article, and two, <laughs> <laughs> uh, two, uh, is that graph you just showed me in the '60s and mid '70s, the inflation rate was much higher than it is today. Could you imagine what Bitcoin would have done in that period of time if well, this, it had existed? This is, this is the inflation rate. This this is that. So this is a chart of inflation. And so, no, no, no. Correct. Yes. In the 70s, high. See, this is 11% right here. This is 13%. This is insane, right? This is that gold right. standard right. tantrum. What, I'm, what, what I thought was so fascinating, and I'm two minutes ahead of you on this. That's it. Uh, uh, but, but this is weird. 1.07% inflation in 61. 1.19%. It's lower than it is can now. You move so your, like, can you move your video so I can see what it is today in this period? You're, you're, yeah. You're, yeah. 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 Right okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like you're, here, you're telling me that right now it's in the 1.8 and Bitcoin is doing what it's doing. Could you imagine like right now by this history, it's yeah. kind of low period of inflation based on this. <laughs> yes. Yes. This would be monies for, for Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Right. right. But, 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 but remember this was caused by uh, this, this crazy movement. Uh, away from gold, right? Are we yeah. going to see that again, or or is it just if you remove this gold thing? Like, imagine the gold thing never happened. Let's say it was never backed by gold, right? What if? And I wish this chart went further back. But what if you had this where, like, imagine this wasn't here and inflation was just always. It's just something that just sits around one to two and a half percent on average. 
And what if that's just the course we're on? And we're going to be 80 doing this like Buffett and Munger going, Dan Flesh is still uh, 2%. Yeah, but but you know what's interesting is getting rid of the gold standard. By getting rid of the gold standard, people were worried about an excess amount of money being printed in and not being properly accounted for, which is almost kind of what we're doing now with mm. trillions of dollars being printed in, except now it's like we don't have to worry about okay, well, now it's no longer backed by gold. What's going to happen? Now we're actually seeing trillions of dollars coming in uh, that you know couldn't be backed by gold at this point. So, I Almost mean, you, you, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a it's a toss-up. I know you don't believe there's there's going to be inflation. I believe there's, there's probably going to be a mix between what you think and what people are worried about. I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's going to be not much. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's going to be 10%. Yeah, I, think, I, I don't know. I think 4%, yeah. 4 or 5% would not surprise me. And well, that would shock uh, me. Really? Yeah. How, how I, I was the debate about there's no inflation? Has anybody yeah. looked at the price of anything? Over I watched your video, Jeremy, on that yeah. really good video. You were like, no, the real inflation hedge was not gold. It was lumber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that, Andre. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how there's even a debate. I mean, if you look at the chart of almost anything the last three to six months, it has gone like up in a straight line. And I'm not saying that's going to continue forever or anything like that. I'm just saying like, you know, obviously inflation is backwards looking. So they're looking at last quarter, last, you know, but I'm like right now, I feel like we're in a time of crazy inflation. I just don't know how anybody can debate that. I, I can't, well, that could I, be I, supply chain shortages though. I, I mean, that, yeah, that that's a big portion of lumber. It's not so much inflation. It's like they didn't prepare for all the demand. There's a shortage of lumber right now. It's going to take them some time to increase, uh, increase production of that. So in the short term, we're, we're through a little blip, in my who's opinion. Say, so I don't know. Who's to yeah. say it's come back down? That's the question. You know what I mean? Like, who's to say? Eventually, well, I think, and Kevin mentioned this in a previous video when I was talking about coral, is that eventually there are going to be companies who say, wow, it doesn't cost us that much money to produce lumber. So if we undercut the competition by 10%, now we could sell a whole bunch. And then their competition's, okay, now we're going to undercut then. And eventually it's going to be a race back to the bottom towards a price that would equalize. Well, yeah, but when everything else is getting more expensive and all of a sudden your machines you need to buy and this you need to buy and the fluids and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, if everything's getting more expensive, then you, you have no choice but to keep your prices elevated, right? And here's the I thing. I would say it's the, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the cost of a, labor. I would say it's the cost of labor, which would really be the, the, the starting point, right? Wouldn't it be cost of labor and then everything else gets piled yeah. on top of that? Well, that's definitely a big component. It's a business by business, but- you know, what's interesting is we had a super strong economy right before Rona, right? Like insanely strong. Then we have the shutdown of the economy. You have money velocity die. We flood more money into the market than has ever been flooded in, in history. Right. And so, you know, this is one of those things, this has never been tested before, but it's very different than what happened in the great recession where we had a super weak economy. They flooded in some money. Right. And then it took us a while to come back. And I think one of the reasons we could see potentially much higher inflation, dare I say, getting close to hyperinflation, maybe not that high, but extreme inflation like we haven't seen in a long time is because you had this already pent up really strong economy. And then you had this crazy flood of money out there like we've never seen before with the lowest interest rates we've ever seen pretty much in history. And when you get all that together, I think it's more than just supply chain. We'll see. We'll see. I, will, uh, I, will I think we should probably take questions soon, by the way. 
definitely questions very quickly yeah. companies do have a choice so if uh, here's one of the things that has been happening is companies uh, through the pandemic have been able to lay off thousands of workers and they don't need that many workers back because of efficiencies going up that's actually fattened margins at a lot of companies and so a lot of companies are uh, absorbing these these temporary price hikes in their margins because mm. they have the capacity for doing so uh, and, and until you know prices come back down and then what comes out what the out the natural output is actually eventually when those prices come back down those input costs uh what we get are substantially more efficient companies I there's mean, a caveat that, to that there's a caveat sure the, you're, you're I, I want to hear that one, one moment uh -huh. I definitely want to hear that one quick moment. Just what, um, want to say companies like the Googles today, the Amazons today, the Apples today, we think they crushed earnings now. Watch their margins in 10 years. It's going to be insane. These companies are going to be so profitable. Go ahead, I'll try. No, I 100% I agree with you that, that when it comes to tech companies or high-flying stocks that have high growth margins, yes, absolutely true. But if you're already operating under thin margins and you're a restaurant, I don't think that's going to apply across the board for everybody. So um, I don't that's know. That's why I don't so buy them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, true. That's, a good, that's a good point. But they still are a part of the S and P five hundred, right? So that's why I don't buy that either. <laughs> okay, good roast. Kevin's got an answer for everything. No, I, I do. Played. I do think that Kevin, the reason that you're kind of playing devil's advocate a lot against inflation is because it seems like you're really just judging hyperinflation. You're like, we're not going to get hyperinflation. Mm. And I tend to agree with Graham that I don't necessarily think that we're going to get hyperinflation, but mm. I, I don't think it's going to be as low as you think it is. Because if Bitcoin is flying as high as it is now, based on the graph you just showed me where we're having like 1.8% inflation rate, <laughs> and it's going up in value as much as it is now, gosh, I mean, imagine if it was higher on that graph, how much it'd be flying. Mm. So Unless it's going up under this belief that hyperinflation is coming or that big inflation. And then when it doesn't, you get a U-turn. That's a risk. Sure. Yeah. Price risk, not a fundamental yeah. risk. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. We got a question for you, Kevin, here, because you, you were, you know, the margin man in the past. So here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. I've never gone on margin and I've done well without it, but I'm 97% invested, multi-home, 45K in stocks, 1K in crypto. Do you think going on margin is worth the risk? What would you? What is your suggestion? Mm. From now on, I will only ever use margin as a uh, the same way I use home equity lines of credit. It is a uh, uh, designed in my portfolio. Home equity lines of credit are margin now recently that status designed to be a temporary tool uh, that if I need uh, a, a lot of cash immediately because something crazy just happened. I have that tool that I can borrow on. I can take my credit lines. I can take my margin. And, and I now have, it's just sitting here. It's like, if somebody's like, Kevin, you have 20 minutes to make a decision, but you need $8 million in cash right now. Otherwise the decision's gone. I have the power to do that, to make that decision, which is great, but I will not permanently use those tools ever again as, as permanent outstanding tools. They will always get paid back down to zero. Graham, question for yeah. you. Uh, somebody says, Vegas question. Vegas local, bought a home in 2007 and lost everything. Have 40K in the bank, 15K in the market. Wife wants to buy a home now. Scared to buy at the top again. Buy now or invest or wait for a drop. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, it's not really going to matter if, if you buy now and you're holding it for like 10 to 15, 20 years. If you buy a house for yourself, there's, there's got to be a price on that that you pay for the quality of life of being able to own your own place and not have to worry about a landlord raising your rent or wanting to move back in or telling you what to do. You pay a, a bit of a, you, you might be able to be, uh, pay a bit of a premium on that. 
I would say if you find the right place that you could see yourself living in for the next 10 to 15 years and you could afford the payments, I don't see it as a bad thing to buy a piece of real estate when you find the right deal, whether that be now or six months from now or a year from now. I wouldn't be too worried about timing, buying a place for yourself that you're going to keep long term. Yeah, I, I have a friend in Vegas and he's been, uh, I mean, he's been thinking about buying a house for six plus years now. And he's like, I'm waiting for the market to drop, waiting for the market no, to no. drop. And, you know, he's been, you know, I don't know how long he's going to have to wait. But meanwhile, he's paid rent for six plus years when he could have been paying down a mortgage. And, you know, it is. What totally. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's take one one last question here. Um, somebody says, what would you recommend for a couple earning 450000 a year post PhD at age 30? Wow. One, get into real estate. And um, even if you got to move or two, get into stocks and make it a, a time to focus on a research career. Hmm. I would I say focus on a career, right? I mean, oh. my only concern with real estate is that like it, it takes a lot of time. And if you're willing to put in the time, you could, you could make some fantastic money. But for, for that sort of salary, unless you have, unless you have the free time or weekends that you want to spend researching properties, I don't know if it's worth the time up front. I, I would think that just a broad index fund would be like the, the best in terms of maximizing like what you're making at a job for the amount of work you're putting in for your return. That's just to me seems like the best. Yeah. Yeah. Because real estate's pretty time intensive from my understanding. And then if they want to pick individual stocks, that's pretty time intensive because you got to research companies and do all that. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe any of you guys want to chime in or you want us Graham to take us home? Yeah, you know, after taxes on four hundred fifty thousand dollars, these folks are probably taking home, you know, take off thirty five percent average tax rate. Uh, these people are probably taking home twenty four thousand dollars a month after taxes. Uh, I think if they lived frugally and they lived like they were living on sixty or or eighty thousand dollars a year, so you know, okay, let's take off six or whatever. They've got eighteen thousand dollars in theory per month left over that they could invest. Uh, I think, quite frankly, they have the capacity to do both and, and be well diversified. I think they can uh, go index fund or the, all three. They could go index fund with with their money that they get regularly, just automatically drip it in. In the meantime, they could easily get a pre-approval letter, get rid of their landlord, start with the home for yourself. See that home ownership isn't that big of a deal. Start with a place for yourself. You know, with 18,000 left over every single month after taxes, after expenses, quite frankly, you know, is it is it that insanely necessary for you to find the best wedge deal? You're going to make that up in like four months. Probably not. So um, buy, buy a place, throw your money into next funds. If you want to put some money into some individual stocks, do it. But they got plenty of money. They can afford to make a couple mistakes, learn some things and, and have a well-diversified portfolio with real estate, individual stocks and, and index funds. And DCA into crypto. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> before before you take us home, Graham, everybody watching this, you got to subscribe over to Millennial Money Clips as well. We have a Clips Ooh, channel. Yeah. Link. Yeah. It's the first link in the description area down there. So if you want to check out clips of us, uh, if you ever miss episodes, you want to rewatch some stuff, we got some great clips on there. We post several times a week. So yeah, subscribe over there. Well, here, hold yeah, on. Yeah. Let's gotta, see if we can get the Clips channel. Yeah, let's Wait. see if we can get this Clips channel, by the way, to 10,000 subscribers. We're really close to that. And uh, it's it's been fun watching that channel grow because we get like the best clips of just two to five, six minutes. Um, so just go and subscribe. There we go. Look at our faces. 
Look how that's my face when you don't subscribe. <laughs> that's me. That's my face. And that's Andre's face when you haven't hit the like button for the YouTube algorithm. So <laughs> you have to do that. Jer yeah, J Jeremy's just worried that you're not going to do anything. So make sure to subscribe. It's it's that button right there. It's red. Make sure to subscribe. You sign in. And uh, yeah, so subscribe, then hit the like button for the YouTube algorithm. Helps us out a ton. But yeah, it's posting two Me? videos a day. And then I think once a day on the weekends. So yeah, so sma smash that button. Destroy it <laughs> after you log in. And then subscribe here if you're not subscribed already. So wow. make sure to subscribe here. How How is that? I is think that good? That was like great. Subscribe <laughs> literally right now. Cool. So with that said, you guys, thank you guys so much for watching. Really appreciate it. And uh, until next week. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Bye. See Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big